I read this book over the summer and over the summer, I tend to be less restrictive when it comes to how much time my kids can spend watching TV or playing video games. And um, I started making changes immediately when I started reading this book. And I left it on the counter and I overheard Brock yell to Brady, Brady, I know what's wrong with mom, <laughs> when he saw the book. On this episode of Vantage, we're having a conversation with three of our faculty who also happen to be moms. We'll hear how they're handling technology in their families and how Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family, has shaped their thinking. So thanks for joining us. Hey, this is Jeff Stabler, and you're listening to Vantage, conversations about students, parents, and education in the light of God's Word. Over the last few episodes, we've been listening to students as they describe their experience with technology. Well, today we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to hear from some of our faculty. So before we jump into the conversation, let me introduce them to you. Missy, why don't we begin with you? I am Missy Green, and I teach the four-year-olds here at Lakeland Christian School. Um, I have four children, two of which have graduated from Lakeland Christian One is getting ready to graduate from Lakeland Christian this year, and then I have an eighth grader that's going to be um, a freshman, and I also have an international student that lives with us that's here at Lakeland Christian, too, So, and my husband graduated from Lakeland Christian, so I have quite a tie to the school. So you you have quite a range here, because you start from K-4 all the way through to your your oldest is getting married soon, right? Yes, he is. Pretty exciting. Okay, next we have Kelly Green. My name is Kelly Green, and I teach journalism and yearbook to middle schoolers and high schoolers. Uh, I also have two elementary-aged children as well, a seven- and a nine-year-old. Well, thanks for joining us, Kelly. And then we also have Jennifer. My name is Jennifer Copeland, and I teach fifth grade, and I have two boys in eighth and ninth grade here at Lakeland Christian. Thanks, Jennifer. And since we're talking about families, I'll say something about my family. Uh, Abigail and I have five children. Our oldest son is in seventh grade, and then we have a daughter that's in fourth grade, a daughter in first grade, a son who is in pre-K, and then we have a two-year-old daughter who's at home. So to our listeners, you can see we've tried to uh, represent the whole school as best we can. Now, before we jump into our conversation, we probably should say a little something about the book, The TechWise Family. Earlier this year, our faculty read through this book together, and I would highly recommend it. If you haven't had a chance to to get a copy of it and read through it as a parent, I think you owe it to yourself to do that. What separates Crouch's book maybe from some of the other books on technology that are out there is that Crouch, he starts by asking questions about family, not about technology. And so he comes to the conclusion that family is the, the place where we're to develop persons who have wisdom and courage. And so if that's true, then we're going to approach technology in a very different way. Let me read one quote to kind of give you a, an idea of where he's coming from. Here's what he says, quote, This better way involves radically recommitting ourselves to what family is about, what real life is about. Our homes aren't meant to be just refueling stations, places where we and our devices rest briefly, top up our charge, and then go back to frantic activity. They are meant to be places where the very best of life happens. No matter what advertising says, even those beautiful, tear-jerking Apple ads, 
the very best of life has almost nothing to do with the devices we buy. It has a lot to do with the choices we make, choices that our devices often make more difficult. So with that as our backdrop, uh, Kelly, let's begin with you. What were some of your big takeaways from this book? So we've been thinking about these issues surrounding technology with our, within our family for a while now. Something I really appreciated about this book was the positive aspect that he brought to it. A lot of what we had talked about focused on the negative, the anxiety and the stress that came with social media and just with our phones. But I really appreciated him giving the language that we didn't have before. So um, he talked about developing wisdom and courage as a family and creating more than we can consume and then having a rhythm for rest and for work. So entering, bringing those things into the conversation in a positive way instead of just focusing on all the negative aspects. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the real positives of his book is that he doesn't begin saying, okay, how do we block everything bad from our, our children? He starts with the big question, what are families for? And so in, in his opening, I mean, if you read through the first few chapters, he's really not even getting to a lot of specifics about technology. He's focusing more on what do we, we really want to do as a family. So when you hear him say, uh, Kelly, we want to develop uh, wisdom and courage as a family, what does that mean to, to you and in, in your family? Yeah, we've thought a lot about that. Who do we want to be? Who do we want our kids to be? And how do we get there? So setting those trajectories in our lives, which for us in some sometimes means uh, taking certain things away and at other times it means adding things um, to our lives. Jennifer, what about you? As we talk about developing wisdom and courage together, uh, what does that look like in your family? I think the biggest insight that I gained from this book is that I can't take a passive stance with technology. I have to be intentional. I have to be um, proactive and at times it can be exhausting. Um, and I also have to leave room for grace when I'm not the parent that I want to be with my own children and technology. So you said you want to, you have to be proactive. What are you thinking of there? I think um, with being proactive, you have to be aware of what your kids are doing on the internet. You have to have each other's passwords. You need to, um, for our family specifically, we um, really focused on car time and having family time in the in the car and. Um, I think it can be easy to become lazy as a parent, for me at least. Um, with two boys that are teenagers, it's um, a lot easier to just let them have time on their iPads and play video games, but um, you have to be willing to be the enemy sometimes with your kids. So when we talk about developing wisdom and courage, I think that a lot of a lot of our families get the idea of wisdom. We want our students to have wisdom, but maybe we think less about courage. So where does the, the idea of courage play a role with us as parents and children in this idea of technology? As Jen was saying, a lot of times it will be giving our children the backbone to be able to say uh, no to certain things. And then also um, just to be able to stand alone at times where it's, it'll be uncomfortable for them. With elementary students, there's times when in big groups where students are encouraged to bring their technology with them, to bring their Kindle, bring their um, iPads, and I would prefer that my kids interact and learn how to talk with other students and look them in the eye. But when all of their friends are doing it and 
we have to say no. I, I would rather you not bring it. That's uncomfortable for them, and it's uncomfortable for us. So giving our, our kids the courage to, to be able to say, to stand alone. Mm-hmm. And I think as parents, we have to have courage too. It can be hard because there's so many gray areas when it comes to technology. And even the three of us in this room probably have very different things that we do with our own children. And I think when there's gray areas, we are led by the Holy Spirit to be convicted in the ways that he wants us to to operate with our children. Um, And he gives us the children, he gives us to parent the way that he leads us. And so I think that we have to be careful with other parents as well, not to be judgmental if we don't all parent the exact same way. Yeah, and on the flip side of that, uh, how have you found that you have other parents in your world who do share some of your ideas, and how does that help you in terms of the way that you're parenting with technology? In my world, a lot of my parents are a little bit older, and we do chuckle that sometimes we can't stay ahead, step ahead of the kids. And so in that way, we can sometimes share, I, di- I did this, and this helped, and I did this, and this helped. It is nice to share with your friends what you're doing with your kids, because honestly, sometimes I might be, oh, I didn't think of that. And that's what I found in this book. Some of the suggestions he would make, something as simple as having a family space in your house where your phones go at night Mm -hmm. and you put all your devices there and, you know, you turn off. I might have been, oh, I didn't think of that. And so that's what's cool about having some friends that are willing to be, be courageous and share what they do. Some things might not work for your family other things can work for your family. So Kelly mentioned something earlier. One of the TechWise commitments that he made with his family was that as a family, they would create more than they consume. And so I want uh, I want to come back here to you, Missy, because we've had some conversations about this in terms of um, preschool K-4. What are you seeing in that create versus consume kind of idea with your students that are coming in now? My students can navigate devices very well. We chuckle because the stroke that they know how to do best is taking their finger and swiping it across the screen. They don't hold crayons very well and they can't cut things very well, but they sure know how to manage a technological device. And so I would like to see those devices used in a more creative way. They also, in my world, are used as a babysitter that when they get in a car or you're in a situation of a grocery store and you have things you want to get done, it's easier to give your child a device to keep them occupied so you can get your task instead of being in a grocery store and asking your little guy, hey, can you help me find this box of cereal, which is implementing some reading skills? You know, I need two cans that implement some math skills instead of using a device for a babysitter or a so-called pacifier to keep them quiet so you can accomplish what you need to do. So let me play devil's advocate here. The, the parent says, yeah, but we're, we're in a world where this is everywhere. That's what they need. What do you say back to that, that student? Uh, how do you sort of justify, no, you still need to learn how to write, to use scissors and crowns and create? Absolutely, you still need to learn how to write. Um, I don't think that that's going to be taken out of our language forever. I think you need to learn how to write letters. I think you're going to need to learn how to cut things out. I think that's part of creativity. What's so awesome is when you give students those tools to watch what they can create and develop. And I know that sometimes that's messy. 
And it's easy to say, here, play this game on this iPad. And are they learning? Absolutely, they're learning on the iPad. But it's not quite as creative as a product and end result if you give them some other tools. And it's also using different parts of their brain, which is helping to develop the whole person, not just your technological side. Yeah, that was one of Crouch's TechWise commitments, right? Was to delay introducing young children to screens so that they could learn to develop the capacity to create and they wouldn't just simply form the habit of always consuming. Um, Kelly, let's turn to you since you're working more with secondary students. What are some examples of some things that we can do to help students use technology to create rather than just to consume technology? Well, I even think about social media usage for middle schoolers. So we hand a student a device and allow them to have um, a social media account and we can almost laugh at them when they post pictures of just silly things. Um, but we haven't shown them, okay, gone through an Instagram account with them and found healthy habits, giving, given them opportunities to learn, um, well, what does it look like to develop their ideas on what it looks like to be human and sharing that, sharing who they are. You give a kid a, a device and then you haven't shown them how to use it. Mm -hmm. So giving them, showing them how to, how to evaluate something and because everyone is evaluating them. So show them what it looks like to evaluate something. And then once you evaluate, you're able to see, uh, experience what, what the good in creation, in creating something is. And once you've been able to do that, you're able to create. Yeah, I, I love that concept of parents sitting down with their, their children and walking them through the things that their children are experiencing, helping them to, to really evaluate it, to, to sort of step outside of it and, and look at it. I think that's a fantastic thing for a parent to do. Okay, well, let me shift gears here a little bit. I know that as a parent, so I, my oldest is uh, in middle school all the way down to a, a two-year-old. There's a huge temptation to just get a break by handing them uh, a device to play a video. And then what I've seen uh, with high school students is that they learn those habits. And, and so very often, and, and I see this in my middle, middle school student, he wants to come home and jump right on that technology and there's part of me that says, okay, because that's just the easy route to go. So, Jen, what have you done? You have two boys. Mm -hmm. How do you get them to talk to you instead of to jump on those devices? Well, even in teaching fifth grade, there's this game called Fortnite. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and that's been a way for me to connect, not by saying video games are a waste of time and they rot your brain, but So you're to... playing Fortnite? Is that what you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not playing it, but my boys... Darren's. Yeah, Darren Darren's plays. Darren it. plays. Okay. No, my boys love it. My fifth grade students love it. And um, so it's been sort of something that I'm able to start conversations, even with my students. Um, they asked me to play a joke on my boys, and they wrote down a sentence for me to say um, about Fortnite. And I was I 
read the sentence to my boys pretending I had played when they weren't around. And they're like, how do you know that? How do you know about tilted towers (laughs) and things that I don't even totally understand? But um, we've used this game, even as a teacher, I've used this game um, for a writing assignment. And in social studies, they had to create maps and countries and they created Fortnite countries. And um, so I think it's important even to have open dialogue with your kids about stuff and not to immediately just act like it's bad, um, but take an interest and learn learn about what they're playing. Yeah, I think that's really super important because as parents, it can be easy for us to sort of uh, vacillate between two extremes. One is mm-hmm. to say, hey, just have at it because you're quiet when you do this. The other is technology's evil, just stay away from it. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like you're seeing the good in this and mm-hmm. just the playfulness and the, the, the joy of it. Right. But I do think you have to set limits. Um, From the time that my children were little, I will say I, in order to run on the treadmill, I would put them in a bouncy seat and turn on baby Einsteins. And it was an intelligent thing. So I didn't feel guilty. Um, But from the time they were little, I've definitely been tempted to use technology. We had the minivan with the TV in it when they were little. And um, I think that it does require discipline as a parent to set time limits on video games. My kids can play video games on the weekend. And so they know that if they have a good week and they get their homework done and they're obedient, then that's a reward for them. And it is a big motivator. It's the first thing we take away if they're disrespectful. Um, So you do have to set time limits, but I don't think you can just immediately say all things are bad that have to do with video games. That strikes me as a really healthy balance. Um, One of the things that Crouch talks about in his book is that we need to develop in our use of technology these patterns of work and rest, of engaging and and disengaging. And so one of his commitments is that they would have times in their day and week and even year where they disengage from technology. So what are you guys seeing in terms of the way that technology is affecting students' rest? I have students that will come to school tired because they will tell me I stayed up till 11 playing this game or watching this TV series and even in fifth grade as young as fifth grade it's something where they need that pattern of rest they need limits they need someone to say everything's shut off at this time and you're in bed at this time and um, they they should I think it's important to not have that stuff in your room because I don't think you're resting if you're phone is lighting up all night or of notifications coming through on a game on an iPad. I think in order for them to rest, they need those things to be in another room. Kelly, you operate a little bit more in the secondary um, world. What are you seeing with students in terms of how technology is affecting their rest, both their physical rest and sort of their mental, emotional rest? Um, Well, I know when I was younger, when I was their age, I had a lot of time of self-reflection when I went home, if I had issues with my friends, I would go to my room and I would, um, a lot of times I would journal about it or I would just have some alone time, even just to sit with my thoughts. I've noticed a lot of my students just don't have that time to sit with their thoughts. Even mm-hmm. in class, if there's downtime, the first thing they do is grab their phones. I have something that I notice that kids do, adults do it, and they grab their devices just out of boredom. And mm-hmm. he addressed that in there. How many times have you been in the grocery store Mm -hmm. and you're standing in a line 
and you look around and everybody waiting in the line is flipping through their screens. And it's really just out of a lack of having something to do Mm -hmm. rather than maybe engage in a conversation and somebody in front of you or behind you. And I see students doing that, that exactly what you said, that's kind of why they don't get that rest is when they're by themselves, they're a little bit afraid to be alone. And so they pick up that screen and they get on Instagram or Snapchat and they start doing that rather than having that self-reflective time of just being quiet and still and thinking. So what have you all done in, in your life to create some space of rest, maybe personally and then, then for your family? Our family, we we have this phrase now where my kids kind of roll their eyes when I say, remember, car time is family time. And um, so even on long trips, we tell them you can have this designated amount of time to play a game. Um, but we in in town, you know, anytime we're in the car, we tell them you cannot be on your phone. You can't, and they'll have to remind me too sometimes. But that's yeah, one of that's the changes great. that we made is just in the car, we are not on any devices. What have been the benefits from that? Have you noticed a change? Yeah. Maybe? And he, the author of the book, he talks about how it takes seven minutes to get into a meaningful conversation. And sometimes, you know, you want to rush that with your kids. You want to say, ask them to share their deepest fears with you. Um, just, by asking them one question, but it does take time to get them to open up. Jeff, I just wanted to read an excerpt from the book that talked about that seven minutes. And um, it was actually written by Sherry Turkle. And she said, the most important conversations take at least seven minutes to really begin. Up until that point, we are just relying on our regular repertoire of topics, the weather, um, what's happened through the day, just predictable chit chat. But around seven minutes, There's almost always a point where someone takes a risk, or you could take a risk. The risk might be silence, but it might be that unexpected question or observation that expresses some deeper emotions that we usually don't allow. All true conversations really are risks, exercise, and improvisation where we have to listen and respond without knowing fully what is going to come next or even out of our mouth. And I would like to say Some of my greatest conversations with my kids have been in the car, Mm -hmm. going to and from practices that you don't really have anywhere else to go. Mm -hmm. And you can have some of those important conversations without eye contact because you have to keep your eyes on the road. So it's a little non-threatening. And that's where you just really want those devices to be put away so that you can have those opportunities to take those risks and have those conversations. Um, I found even if I'm going on walks with my kids, I used to bring my phone with me. And so now I just leave it in the car. And I remember the first week, actually, when I started doing this, um, I had such a great conversation with both of my kids, telling them stories about my childhood. They were telling me things that um, that they were thinking about. And it was such a, it was one of those beautiful, mm-hmm. almost magical moments but then the next day I tried to replicate it and <laughs> left the phone in the car. And it was, it, I mean, you almost want to romanticize it. Because mm-hmm. um, the next day we d- had the same walk around the lake. And I mean, both my co- kids were yelling at each other. And one was dragging behind. And it, it wasn't the same. But, yeah, just that, those having spaces where when you would normally have your phone, just leaving it behind and not bringing it with you. 
Well, let's let's move to one more topic here, and this one's maybe a little more uncomfortable. But I think pretty much everyone at, at this point understands that there is a dark side to technology. Mm -hmm. And that dark side can be in some of the uh, sexually explicit images and videos that are just a, a click away, or even violence, or things that really no person should ever be seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, I've read different statistics that, that talk about the age that a student may be first exposed to those kind of images, and it's grown increasingly lower, creeping down into the elementary years. What are you guys doing with your own children to help navigate them through that really dark side of, of, the, of technology? Well, one thing we have on our phones is a custodian that monitors um, for them, it blocks a lot of sites, but not only does it block, it will send notifications that a site was trying to be reached, which often is out of pure innocence, mm -hmm. that they didn't mean to get to that site, but it did. But that kind of alerts us to activities that might be going on on their iPads or on their phones. I think that um, in an effort to protect your kids from this dark side of technology, it's important to have an open dialogue with them on a regular basis, not just um, when you feel worried or when you hear about someone else having an issue. I think that it has to be an ongoing dialogue that you have where it's a comfortable conversation. And um, one thing that Darren and I have done just from a practical standpoint is um, we're actually all on the same iCloud, which might seem really overbearing, um, but we get all of their text messages. We get all of their searches that they look up. And sometimes it can be hard because I'll get a text message and I'm not sure if it was meant to go to one of my boys or to me, but it's what we do right now. Um, we also turn their internet off on the weekend and they only have it when they're at school. Um, we don't let them have internet on their phones. And like I said earlier, this is something that we feel is the best way to raise our children with technology. It's not something that everyone necessarily has to do. It's just how we've chosen to, to navigate that. And I think that another dark side is just even with the video games, with people being able to contact your kids, you have to be so careful about um, what they're doing. And especially if they have the headsets where they can interact with people, you need to make sure that they're not interacting with strangers or adults that could be that could have bad intentions yeah I think and just to add to that we my wife and I have these conversations even with our young children so we have a, a two-year-old a four-year-old a, a first grader and we will actually uh, practice with them so I'll take my phone and hold it up to my four-year-old son and of course the, the screen's blank but I'll say to him um, what would you do if somebody showed you a video and there were naked people on it? And he kind of laughs about it. And dad, you know, why would anybody show <laughs> naked people? And, and, and of course, you know, at, at four years old, he doesn't have a context for, for any of that. But we can follow that up with saying, is it okay for, for people to see you without any clothes on? No, you know, we can't do that. And, and people do things they shouldn't do. And so, so what would you do? And then we practice, look away. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first things we do. Here's the image, look away. And then go find an adult, find your teacher and say, 
I saw this picture, you know, what, and, I, and, and we, we initiate that with them so that they understand that if it happens, it's not just a, a complete, total, horrific shock, and they go inward and, and don't know what to do. We, hopefully, they, they would already be prepped to be able to come to my wife or myself, and, and then we can have a discussion. So we start off uh, early on, even with our young children, discussing those things. And I think it's really important to have conversations. I, I have been uh, spending a lot of time speaking with the teens here at LCS. And those conversations, you can't just enter into that conversation mm-hmm. at year 17. Mm-hmm. You really, it's hard. If you have not talked about uh, openly issues of sexuality and the purpose and beauty of that and, and why God has given us these desires and how we struggle with that, uh, you really have to start off way before that. So by the time they're experiencing these things, you've already set the baseline for mm-hmm. them to, to come speak with us. Uh, so I think that's really important because you know the one thing I get over and over, you're not going to be able to block everything. Right. No matter how much you try. I, I've tried out uh, different scenarios mm-hmm. on my seniors and said, what if you do this? Oh, Mr. Stapler, that's so easy. We can get past that. What about this? Just Just stop. There's really nothing, you, you know, mm-hmm. and that may be scary as a parent, and it doesn't mean that we don't block those things, but it means that we really have to have those conversations so that when, not if, mm-hmm. they encounter these kinds of things, they, they have a context for how to handle it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there is so much more that we could say about all of this, but unfortunately, our time for today is up. Uh, for, the, for our listeners, I would, again, just encourage you to get a copy of The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch and, and read that. And uh, to our panelists today, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to share with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks to all our listeners. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes. We're also excited to announce the release of a three-part chapel series delivered to our students earlier this year. This series offers a more detailed assessment of technology from a biblical perspective. You can access part one now on the LCS YouTube channel by following the link in the description. For more information about Lakeland Christian School, you can find us online at www.lcsonline.org, or you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. If you'd like to contact us by email, you can at vantage at lakelandchristianschool.org. Special thanks to Jordan Bergs for composing our theme music and acting as our audio engineer. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Vantage. <laughs>